Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, today we are talking, uh, we continue talking on NLP topics. Uh, Alexander Gerasimov is in our studio, a very famous negotiator in Russia, an NLP master, geography led uh, by Alexander, is 22 countries and 69 cities, his NLP trainings and seminars. And me, Olga Sarkisova, I am a linguist and a philologist. Today we continue discussing a well-formed outcome, the topic we have already touched upon, and today we'll talk about uh, such a thing, such a phenomenon as ecology. So, Alexander, let's speak about ecology today. And the first question I'd like to touch upon is about our goals. Why can we not achieve our goals sometimes? What's the reason? What's the reason for that? Well, among a number of causes of non-achievement of our goals, the most common one is the lack of resources. We lack time, we lack motivation, we lack money, connections and all the rest. The lack of resources is probably the main cause of non-achievement of our goals. It is a rather obvious cause and many people say if i had money if i knew if i so that all is quite understandable this is the tip of an iceberg this is exactly what i wanted to say it looks very much on the surface Mm -hmm. Everything is evident here, and phrases like then go and make some money, or go and make friends, go and allocate some time, could serve as a solution. And the problem seems to be resolved, but it is just a superficial approach. It is what we see on the surface, and what is obvious on the other hand. But there is also a submerged part of that iceberg. It is our ecology. It is either our self-sabotage when simultaneously want and don't want to achieve our goal, or it is probably unconscious. Let us say unconscious realizing that that goal will bring us more problems and will pull us out from our so-called comfort zone. This is the main course. I think I said it in the second podcast that ecology is the key component in our goal achievement. If you take ecology into consideration, you'll be able to achieve your goal very easily. Yeah, but I believe this is uh, the most complicated element in the whole in the whole solution is to take uh, ecology into consideration. I have heard about such a phenomenon as um, kind of uh, secondary benefits, secondary kind of profit. Uh, I believe it's something we never realize. There is a reason which exists, but we never realize it. So could you tell us firstly, what is kind of secondary benefits? What is it? Secondary benefits are non-obvious advantages, which we will get or get when we achieve our goal. For instance, if a person starts, um, makes a decision to go in for sports, to travel to somewhere, to learn a foreign language. There are advantages which are obvious to him and he can easily declare them. Meanwhile, there are, if you think it over for a while, of what else potential advantages you could gain, maybe not immediately, but eventually in some time. For example, learning a foreign language, a second, third, or fourth foreign language, it doesn't matter. On the one hand, it gives you an advantage. You can watch TV series, you can travel, but there are non-obvious advantages. I would recommend that a person describing a goal using those seven items discussed 
in the first podcast, should find time, maybe not at once, but after a number of times, take a sheet of paper and write down all possible advantages. But note, there is a recommendation. Some advantages are quite simple and understandable. A person can write them down at once, but if we ask a person to do it and observe him doing it, we'll find out that that person is doing it for no particular reason, just writing. Our objective in this case is to reveal, is to reveal three or four advantages that can, can cause crawling sensation. Dopamine rush, so to speak. While writing that down, a person starts feeling him or herself much better, much more energetic and active, and that could become a goal achievement motivator. Besides, which is very important, we have some social, mm, socially approved reasons, and when a person is writing down, I want to travel, or I want to have more opportunities, or something like that, it is a good motivation. This motivation is not always um, quite true. Sometimes we can hear something, um, someone saying, I'm full of energy, I cannot sit still. In some cases, those secondary benefits could be, um, well, let us confess, we all are adults, for example. To, to spite someone, for example, to demonstrate your results to your former partner or your former boss, I will make money intentionally to spite him, I will improve my life for everything, would be all right, intentionally to spite him. And for some people who are honest with themselves, it could be a very good motivation. Therefore, when you write down secondary benefits, be honest with yourself, or, as we call it, congruent. When you can confess to yourself that very often the only reason for getting up early in the morning and to go to work, to start up your business, is your wish to demonstrate your results to your previous boss, who didn't see you as a sales representative. It could be a very good motivation. The most critical in this situation is being honest with yourself. I guess those are the strongest ones. Those uh, one you have called, they are the strongest motivators, in fact. But this is uh, much more complicated as we do not realize them. And sometimes we need a specialist to help us to discover them. Because we never, we never can see them ourselves, can we? Yes, we can surely consult an expert. It would probably be reasonable to consult, to consult a psychologist or a coach who would help you focus your attention on seeking secondary benefits. Also, it would probably be reasonable to talk to some people, your friends and pals, about why they have achieved, why they have achieved their Girls, you know, people are like onions, layer by layer, layer by layer. So at some level of communication, at some level of rapper, a, a, a person would tell you some reasons, some motivators, but when you are in a closer relationship with that person, he or she will name you real motivators. In this situation, some people may get a glimpse of reality. So having spoken about secondary profits and benefits for us, we cannot avoid the fact that very oftentimes we procrastinate, we don't act. And every person more or less intelligent will find explanation and clarification why he doesn't act. Uh, he can very well justify his procrastination. Um, how would you comment on that, Alexander? Laziness is exactly an expression of ecology. 
pretty often. There are several causes of laziness. I will now be naming them, and maybe some of these causes will resonate with my words. One of the most common causes surely is the lack of motivation. A person may be just not motivated. In the goal achievement format, you should pay attention to what is motivating you, why or what for you are trying to achieve your goal. For sake of that bigger or maybe a great thing, you are trying to achieve your goal. If a person cannot say what he or she needs that goal for, for example, at some company, a supervisor tells his employee, you should call customers using this list of phone numbers, and he starts calling them without understanding why, what for, some money, salary, sometimes those things are not enough. A, a, a person needs a much bigger motivation. It is the first course. The second course is often realizing that a person just lacks resources at a moment, exactly at this stage. Maybe he understands that he has declared a too big goal, which he will hardly be able to achieve. So it's also some sort of resistance. Another pretty common cause of laziness, oddly enough, in perfectionism, when a person doesn't start reaching a certain goal until everything is done perfectly at the highest level of perfection, and that person doesn't do anything, just because he understands that he cannot make something perfect at the moment. He thinks, I'd better do nothing rather than doing something and got criticized, being told that someone has done it better. Some people developed such habit being a school student. When a person is writing having a perfect handwriting, and if something goes wrong, he can tear out a page and rewrite it. It happens. It's a normal situation when you are a student. These are probably the main causes of human laziness. I suggest that you should pay attention to your motivation when your goal is overcoming your laziness. This is often the main course of inactivity in reaching your goal. Right, very clear, very clear. So if you procrastinate, uh, try to analyze what stands behind it, what stands behind it. Maybe lack of motivation, maybe your perfectionism, or maybe you have taken uh, a burden on your shoulders of too much responsibility. Right, okay. Uh, we are like layers of onion. That's a very good metaphor. Mm -hmm. Right, so the next question which comes out of your answer now, which I just came up with now, is, for instance, sometimes you've got uh, a wish a goal but to achieve them to really get to them to what we wish we need to radically and drastically change our own personality let us say those sticks which we are standing on and uh, we can never we can never admit it so for this we will never achieve the goal or what should we do what should we do in this situation there are a number of possible recommendations in this situation. One of them is working with NLP techniques called negotiation between the parts of personality or six-step reframing. These techniques are given during the NLP practices course. The purpose of those techniques is to make conflicting parts come to an agreement. First, you should recognize those parts, figure out their positive intentions, and then interact with them. In some cases, a person, so to say, gets um, accustomed to expect such a conflict to fade away all by itself. Yes, it helps. Some values become no longer of, of vital importance. And a person, for example, in some months or in some years, just quits smoking or just starts going in for sports. It seems to happen all by itself. Most likely, your internal conflict has self-resolved. I suggest that you shouldn't let things take their course, but 
using your consciousness, your awareness. You should find out those conflicting parts and make them negotiate to achieve peace and order within your soul and harmony. All right, you just mentioned uh, some special techniques, the three ones, I believe, six steps, framing and others. Where Where is it possible to find them? For those who are not NLP practitioners, where can they find them? Oh, you can surely find them in Internet. I would recommend that our sophisticated guests should listen to NLP radio in Russian. But I am absolutely sure that you can find them both in LP Classics books written by Richard Bandler and John Grinder, where John Grinder is quiet and detailed discussing um, how the six-step reframing technique emerged, how he realized and invented it simultaneously, so to speak, and preserved it for us. So, dear listeners, I advise you to um, figure out, to mark out a situation which really causes an inner conflict inside of you and uh, try to test this technique. For example, trying to agree to parts of your personality together. It's going to be very useful, but not easy from the first time, that's for sure. Okay, Alexander, let's uh, go a little deeper. Let's move on and... um, Let's try to touch upon such a delicate issue as um, getting ill, as diseases. Uh, Very often when someone is already close to achieving the goal, he falls ill. He suddenly gets a heart attack or gets into the hospital. And we, like aware people, uh, enlightened, whatever we call it, we understand that maybe it's a protest. So, maybe would you dwell a little bit upon that? How do you see it? In some cases, we can consider our illness as some kind of an inner protest of a person. However, I recommend that a person should anyway see a doctor as soon as first signs of illness emerge. Avoid self-medicating. I agree that a disease often originates in our nervous system. There is a Russian proverb, all diseases originate in our nervous system. There is an area at the intersection of medicine and psychology, some sort of science. I'm not sure we can call it science, psychosomatics, or it is some, sometimes called somatic psychology. It sometimes really finds some parallels between human diseases and some intrinsic constraints. Admit it. What we have in our mind affects our body, so our bodily sensations can and will have influence on our thoughts on our beliefs. It is good when a person feels good and comfortable in his mind, he feels particularly good in his soul. Yeah, one of presuppositions from what I remember is that our mind and our body are the elements of the same system. So I believe you are describing that now. Uh, Very often when uh, a person with cancer or whatever other disease is uh, lying in hospital, very close to death, a psychotherapist comes over to him and asks a question, maybe a cruel question, like, what for have you fallen ill? What for? Isn't it like too much? What do you think about it? Yes, it is a good question and it is useful to ask, including asking yourself, because I can give a couple of simple examples of how answering this question can rather drastically change a situation. For example, a person is working himself wrecked. He gets up very early in the morning, goes to work, gets strong results there, absolutely having no rest. Then his body begins gradually to protest. At a certain point his body says, okay, I cannot stand it any longer. Of course, it says, it's not through words, but through sensations. 
a disease, and the person gets ill and takes a forced rest. It seems there is no logic in this situation, but the body is wise and knows better in this situation. If you are in touch with your body, if you communicate with it, if you understand and feel what your body wants, you can get avoid getting in such situation. For example, at the first signs of cold-related diseases, you should ask yourself, why do I want to get ill, what for? In this situation, you should think it over, and maybe in meditative, calm state, get an answer to this question, how does it emerge? Those having little children will understand me. An almost typical situation when a child lives in a family, his family members are busy all with themselves and don't pay attention to that child. The child wants to gain, to gain attention because it is natural to children. So he is being ignored. His requests are being ignored, his wishes, dreams or something else like that are being like that are being ignored. And suddenly the child gets ill. At some kind of medical conference immediately gathers everyone around him and everyone begins to take care of him. They give him tasty things, stroke him on his head, do what the child really wanted to get. It happens once, for the second time it gets fixed. For the third time it becomes an efficient strategy, and every time when that person stops getting attention from his partner, when he just lacks attention from his relatives or his friends, he will get ill. With all that it entails. So it's good when we have a contact with our body and can ask ourselves that question, what for did you get ill? And get an answer to it. Maybe you should listen to your body before your disease reaches to a more serious stage. Right, that was a very demonstrative and very illustrative example. Okay, getting attention by falling ill maybe causing somebody's feeling of guilt, maybe other. Uh, dear listeners, dear audience, if you have ever experienced anything like that and you have ever felt that your illness is for no reason, maybe try to analyze what it was for. It could bring you to a lot of insights, I believe. And we are moving on and um, I'd like to ask about systems about systems. Last time you told us that we interact not only with people, not only with objects, but with bigger systems sometimes. And uh, ecology cannot let us go through because of the bigger systems we interact with. So what is it? What about those systems? What can be the obstacle with the systems? A system is a number of components interacting between each other for a rather long period of time. It is called a system. A system may be a long-standing structure, for example a staff. It may be a very long-standing structure such as, for example, a family. It may be something newly built. For example, a group of people have just teamed up to implement some project or people came to a training session on a weekend and began to interact. Of course, they won't become a system at once, it will take them time. It will surely depend on outgoingness, on communication within that system, and a system is striving for harmony and order, compliance with those rules, and any system defending itself will be it will be resisting against external influences by various ways. For example, when a new employee joins a staff or when an employee gets fired, it takes some time for things could go back to, to square one. 
Such a system will be resisting against dismissing an employee if even they are absolutely not satisfied with that employee, because the system is striving for a harmonic state. Right. Can two people be a system? Just two people, for example, marriage. Is it considered a system? Yes, it is surely a system too. It has a few components, but nevertheless. And this system is also stable, and sometime a third and a fourth component can emerge in this system, but we understand that every member of that family is also participating in some systems. For example, one of them works at a company. He is communicating with his friends. He's communicating with, or she's communicating with her relatives. And those systems have influence on that person too, on each of them. Okay, what is a system ecology, systematic ecology? What is this name? What is this definition? System ecology is taking into consideration those rules formed within a system. The most difficult in this case is to understand the rules under which a system is functioning. I can give an example. For example, a person decides to start jogging in the morning, so he has to get up early. So the decision has made begins to potentially influence systems surrounding him. For example, it may be a, a, a partner with who he or she leaves, so that partner also has to go to bed earlier in order to get up together. So they have to slightly change their daily schedule. A, dail a, daily, a daily schedule is also a way of interaction between systems, certain rules according to which a system is operating. So it means, for example, that they have to stop watching TV series in the, in the evening or news. If they have to get up early, apart from the need of going to bed together early, they should also take into consideration changing not only in their daily schedule, but also in their eating plan. Eventually, those things are one by one pulling, 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 and it may happen that in three, five, or for example, seven, ten days, your partner tells you, I don't want to go to bed that early, I can't fall asleep, I get up early, sleep deprived. The system is resisting. This resistance is a conflict of that system. In order to take this ecology into account, showing respect towards that system, you should potentially foresee all these things in advance. For example, not to start running in the morning, but to begin to get up a little bit early. In some time when you get accustomed to get up a little, a little bit earlier and to go to bed a little bit earlier, you can start doing morning exercises, not necessarily jogging, but exercises. Going outside when the weather is raining and sleety, Going to a gym situated somewhere, gradual, smooth, smooth changes, showing respect towards the system, retaining rapport with that system, will result in changes. Right, I see. Okay, so uh, you have just talked about uh, systematic goals. I believe now we have heard about uh, goals within the systems goals which definitely must be taken into account speaking about systematic ecology right now alexander is there anything else uh, which you would like to mention maybe in this topic which you consider very important for our audience any questions i didn't ask but maybe you would like to to announce from my viewpoint the key component in goal achievement and taking ecology into consideration in other words a definition of ecology ecology is the speed of changes. It is respect towards, towards the speed of changing, everyone in changing at a certain pace. Someone thinks that he or she is approaching his or her goal too slowly. Thoughts about it don't allow a person to change fast. 
It don't allow a person to change faster. Everyone has his own speed of changing, and we should respect it. For example, it would be much easier to your um, to young person who is not involved in a large amount of system to move to another city or or even to another country, much easier than to a person who who has lived in a city for 40 years, knows everyone, who has been working somewhere for a long time and gets maximum of information about the world from the Internet and from TV. It is rather difficult to change quickly to such a person. The key thing in the systematic goal achievement is respect towards your personal speed of changing. It may happen that while approaching your goal you will want to rush someone. Could I get it faster? Could I get it right now? Which is very natural for a human being, of course. And when a person is saying, I want to become a boss or a CEO at once, I want to move there at once, be prepared that a system will most likely, most likely get disrupted and will start resisting. Therefore, if you are conscious enough, and if you respect your speed of changing, if you don't strive for immediate changes, if you think more about creating space for changes, taking into account all potential benefits and consequences in advance, achieving your goal will be not only an efficient, but also a pleasant process. Right. I can say that this topic of ecology uh, sounds very deep to me. I'm sure that to you too. And uh, we need to be wiser and wiser to really realize that. And it looks like every next podcast, every next uh, interview with Alexander uh, pushes us, brings us closer and closer to uh, awareness and understanding ourselves. So thank you very much. This topic really appeals to me a lot. I got lots of insights. I'm sure our audience too. So if you really like that, if it um, agrees with you, so you are welcome with your likes, with your reposts. And we are expecting Alexander in our next interview. Bye. Uh, and one more detail, very important. I am um, sure while we were talking, you have come up with the goals you were not able to achieve. So you are very welcome. Write down below in the commentaries which were those goals. And uh, please, you are welcome with your examples. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. There is NLP radio on stream. And again, we are having in our studio me, Olga Sarkisova. I am a linguist and a philologist, and Alexander Gerasimov. Hello, Alexander. Hello, Olga. Uh, Alexander is, I'm introducing to you again, a famous NLP trainer in Russia, NLP practitioner, NLP master, a famous negotiator. Geography uh, of seminars and trainings led by Alexander is 22 countries and 70 cities. So I have introduced you a wonderful guest today. We have learned a lot by American books by Richard Bandler and Grinder, and we have prepared something for you right now. We've got something to share with you. The topic we are discussing today is going to be anchoring how to set anchors. But first of all, I need to ask Alexander, what are anchors? What are these? Basically, anchors are... Um, anchoring is a process of building. An anchor is a stimulus, a trigger that causes a certain reaction in a person, while anchoring is a process of building a certain link between such, such a trigger and response. For example, seeing some brand's logo or a person's face makes us experience certain emotions. Or when we hear some song, some memories associated with that song arise. I think everyone has his own or her own select playlist containing soundtracks that can make them feel better or worse. Right. Uh, what came to my mind when you said is a perfume. 
For instance, for a girl, it could be a perfume smell of your first man in her life. So when you hear this perfume, you immediately remember everything you had in your life. I believe it's a strong anchor, isn't it? It's an anchor as well. Yes, multiple factors, smell, anchors are some of the strongest ones. They correspond to specific cortical activity. So those anchors are some of the most powerful anchors. There are not only visual anchors. When we see something, not only auditory anchors, when we hear something, but also touching-related anchors or taste-related ones. For example, some memories associated with a certain taste, that very taste, that very tea. It wasn't advertising slogan in Russia a long time ago. There are already mentioned multiple factors smell anchors, and those can be combined, for example, by appearance. We immediately start feeling some smells. For example, when we see some product, we begin to remember the very smell, or even the very sound we felt on or heard when we were anchoring. A very powerful thing. It looks like it has a very strong power on us. And I think one of the tools, one of the instruments is setting an anchor. Setting an anchor, creating an anchor. So the question is actually what for should we set an anchor to ourselves or to others? As for ourselves, we can set anchors to cause a certain state. For example, um, a certain working spirit before starting doing something, or maybe to energize yourself when uh, you have to do some boring, monotonous work, which you would like to do faster. You launch a playlist, which makes you experience energy-related emotions. It could be some, some, some rock or hard rock soundtracks, or punk rock, for example and things will go much better. How about Hachaturian music, classical music of fighting with swords? Everyone may have a specific anchor to a certain soundtrack. In order to use an anchor, you have to previously set it on yourself. The same with other people. We can make a person experience pleasant emotions, emotions related to consent, to anchor them and to re-trigger them during negotiations or, on the contrary, to make someone experience a negative attitude or disgust, and to re-trigger it when a certain person starts talking about a competitor or proposing something we didn't want or dislike, and so on. In this situation, anchors will be determined by... Um, anchors are tools. The question is what specific emotion would like to re-trigger in ourselves or in other people and then use it. Right. Uh, right. Up to now, it's, uh, it's interesting a lot, but it's not clear to me. How is it possible to do it? Do we do it physically? Do we do it verbally? Uh, do we hypnotize? What is the method of setting an anchor? How to set an anchor? It depends on what kind of anchor you use. If it is a visual anchor, a gesture would probably be enough or your facial expression during communication. It could be a drawing or a symbol. Those are visual anchors. For example, if you compile a list of your personal visual anchors, it may contain a combination of colors, your homeland's national flag that you see while being abroad, for example, or some color, a specific color, deep blue or, for example, rich red, which could re-trigger a certain state. Those are visual anchors, auditory anchors, Apart from a melody, everyone can specify a soundtrack which is associated either with her or his first date, or with a tragic, tragic situation. It may be associated with some walks or meditation. The simplest auditory anchor is a phone call. When you hear a phone ring, your arm, your arm automatically moves to pick up. I remember I have the doors, people are strange, ringtone on one of my previous phones. And even nowadays, when I hear the soundtrack, I immediately recall the phone model. Or during another period of my life, I had the alarm soundtrack from Groundhog Day, a 
as my alarm sound. The lead character used to wake up hearing that alarm soundtrack. So did I for some time, and now when I hear that soundtrack, I immediately recall my sensations of waking up and turning off the alarm. Those are auditory anchors. You can set an anchor through touching. It is more difficult to set during negotiations. But, for example, we can set such an anchor on ourselves by touching our earlobes, wrists, quadriceps muscles, for example, and to pin a state you would like to save. Okay, but I believe it should be something we don't do every day, something non-standard, not habitual something more extraordinary. For instance, we touch ourselves ears like all the time. Can it be the anchor as well? Yes, there are three prerequisites you should meet in order to set an anchor. The first prerequisite is should be a peak state. We should set an anchor when we are in a peak state, when we experience a certain emotion very much. It often happens that we experience a cocktail of emotions simultaneously. Even now, if you analyze your state, you may find out that apart from enjoying listening to useful and interesting information, you also have impressions of some previous conversation, some concern about an unresolved problem or anticipation of an upcoming meeting. It is a mix, a combination of some emotions, and there is no some dominant in its pure form. Therefore, it is recommended that you should set an anchor exactly, being in a peak state. How can you understand that it is a peak state? It may be peak an expression of an emotion, for example, too loudly, or a gesture of the highest amplitude during communication. You should pay attention to the level a person's involvement into process. When you notice that a person seems to be in a peak state and set an anchor on him or her and realize in a minute or two that that person gets to a higher state, you should set an additional anchor, to set an anchor once again. As a result, you will reinforce the first anchor. When you are learning, there is not much of a problem in setting an anchor improperly, or something like that. This is prerequisite number one, in peak state. The second one, it should be a unique anchor. It is exactly what, what you, Olga, were talking about. Your anchor should differ from any other anchors or accidental touching or accidental melodies. For example, if you set an, a handshaking anchor in a man, he will be shaking hands with other men in an office, and that anchor will disappear. So, if it is a handshaking, it should be a specific handshaking, accompanied by a slap on a shoulder or, for example, a stronger ha handshaking, something like this. More intensive. Yes, more intensive. The third required prerequisite for setting an anchor apart from the peak state and the uniqueness, it should be an easily repeatable, reproducible anchor. Because if, for example, you set a shoulder-touch anchor on a person during your first contact, causing his friendly state, it may happen that you won't be able to touch that person to re-trigger the state during talks. So, it is recommended that you set an anchor within your physical reach. I suggest that you should set rather a visual anchor, because it may be a gesture, it may be a facial reaction, such as an eye wink, for example, or displaying an exaggerated emotional expression, exactly to be able to rather easily reproduce a visual anchor. I see. So, uh, I believe that uh, one more condition is <laughs> important one to, to reach a peak of state, to be able to make it unique and easily produced. It should definitely be fast. It should be something produced quickly. The anchor, I believe, setting it must be something very quickly, right? Like in one second. We can set only a visual anchor quickly. 
It is the fastest one. There is some logic in it. At first we see a person, at some distance. And at this phase we also can start communicating if that person sees us too. Then we can hear when the distance gets shorter. And then we can experience some feelings toward that person. It will be okay if you start setting a visual anchor to additionally set an mm -hmm. auditory anchor when you get to a closer communication. Okay, so we can add them one to another. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Or, for example, you begin to communicate with a person, you know, and so-called small talk, when you can talk about nothing. A small talk may be a good way to make a person experience certain emotions by asking that person what he or she was doing on weekend. Tell him or her a story that happened to you or some mm -hmm. new stories. And when you notice that that person's state is changing, you add some gesture to set an anchor. Mm -hmm. Right. So the question which comes out of uh, what you are saying is that probably not only a resourceful state could be anchored, but also probably non-resourceful, negative, depressive, uh, dull states. What kind of states can be anchored? For the first communication, the first level communication, when you have just begun to communicate with a person, having two or three anchors would be enough. For example, it is a resource, a consent anchor when a person agrees with you and is loyal towards you. And second, a negative state, state, denial, a protest or disgust. These are your accelerator and brake pedals in communication with that person. As soon as that person starts talking about what you dislike, you reproduce a non-resource anchor. When you start offering your conditions to that person, you use a resource anchor, so that person will state in his mind of, I feel good when he is talking, and I feel bad when we are arguing. When we are arguing about or discussing price, for example, during business talks, it is a simple example. We also anchor a state decisiveness in a person, admit it is important in terms of decision-making during negotiations. When your opponent doesn't think for too long but agrees with you and wants to do something, it may be a state of sadness, deceleration of a state. When a person is in a hurry and you understand that you'd better stall for a time and use this anchor during talks, the number of anchors could be equal to the number of emotions. I wouldn't talk about resource or non-resource emotions or states. There are appropriate and inappropriate states. In some situations it is very appropriate to be angry and fierce or, or wrathful. In other situations it is inappropriate to be joyful. And you can use anchoring as a process rather as guides navigating your communications to a certain direction. Okay. Uh, what I'd like to say is, um, before our podcast, before our meeting today, I was listening a lot of American uh, materials on anchoring. And you know what? They are very different, totally different in their description, uh, comparing to what you say. Because an American interpretation of NLP trainers... When you ask them what is anchoring, they will tell you that it is like a bookmark which gets you back to a place which was relevant or beneficial to you. So like a bookmark which you put somewhere in order to get back to it when you need. And they talk only about positive states, only about beneficial states. They say nothing of non-resourceful or negative states. Well, that's interesting, really. Well, I can give you an example. For instance, you feel that you are too excitable and reckless and too active in a certain situation. When calmness or some sort of deceleration is needed, you have a calmness and deceleration anchor. Admit, it could be reasonable to add 
saw seriousness to a certain situation. Yes, we can say it to reproduce a bookmark for the state of calmness. Okay, okay. Uh, I think much more interesting for our audience, for our listeners, would be not only how to anchor others, maybe a boyfriend, a boss, whoever else, but how to anchor our own selves. I think it gives a lot of resources to us, ability to anchor ourselves. Could you maybe bring up a few examples, seduce a few examples, how we can anchor our own self? For something important. For example, you have to deliver a speech in front of a group of people. It may be a meeting or presentation, and the person is, is anxious. For example, a situation that once happened to me, when I was unexpectedly asked to deliver a speech in front of 400 people in a huge hall. It was a rather unusual experience. I had never delivered a speech in front of such audience and in that format. And I remember very well how reported, how reproduced. I would call it mm, some kind of zero state anchor, a state of nothing, when I didn't feel joy, self-confidence, calmness, excitement, nothing, just a state of emptiness, but not desolation but everything is bad, but some neutrality. Using this anchor, I'm touching my face with both hands and rub it. I achieve a some zero state in this moment, some kind of purification. I remember a situation when I reproduced that anchor several times intentionally prior to entering a stage. It was an assembly hall at a cultural center. It was a security conference. There were lots of military and special service officers in the hall, and I was on the stage, telling them about rapper and other NLP tools. I decided that that state would be the most appropriate delivering a speech in front of that audience. Not joy, not excitement, not anything else like that, but a state of, I'd call it, metaphorical indifference. Mm -hmm. I consider that state to be the most appropriate, reproduced it several times, achieved it, and then mm -hmm. began to talk. So one, one of the states Alexander has mentioned is zeroing out. So when you can zero yourself out. That's something I have never heard of, right? Okay. I have heard about such a thing as uh, anchor collapsing. Anchor collapsing. Is it a technique? Is it a tool? Is it something we do but don't realize we do so? What is it? We can surely find ourselves in a situation when we are influenced by an anchor. For example, a certain soundtrack is causing a state that we wouldn't like to experience in that situation. It may be, for example, memories about a person. For example, you hear some music and immediately remember your ex. You didn't want to experience that state. In order to remove that anchor, you can use collapsing anchors technique. This technique consists of just several steps, and you can easily apply it even using this description. First, you should realize what state you are experiencing when you hear that melody or song. Let it be a state of dissatisfaction, anger, irritation or something like that. As soon as you realize your state, ask yourself a question. What would be opposite to that state to you? In this case, it will be your personal setting. For example, some person considers calmness to be opposite to irritation, while another person may have nothing opposite to irritation, the lack of any state. A third person may consider joyfulness to be opposite to irritation. So ask yourself a question, what state would be opposite to that state you are currently experiencing? This is the second step, number two. The third step is, I suggest that you should set an anchor related to that third, opposite state. For example, some music makes you feel some irritation. 
you know that opposite to this state is active joyfulness. You achieve this state of active joyfulness and then set an anchor, for example, touching a leg, then you reproduce both anchors simultaneously. The next step. You launch that soundtrack and reproduce the opposite anchor. For a greater effect of this technique, I suggest that you should make that opposite anchor much stronger than the first anchor. You will find out that minus and plus can give you a zero state or conditional resource. Next time you'll be surprised when hearing that music you not only won't remember anything, you'll just experience a state of not understanding, confusing, emptiness or something else. You should be prepared to experience that state when reproducing that anchor. Maybe you'd better complete this technique with your eyes closed to better feel these sensations. Yeah, I've got two questions. Uh, while you were talking, you said you take one state, for example, irritation, negative state. Then you take another state, which is the opposite to the first, to irritation. For instance, it's joy, the feeling of joy. Then the next step, you said, try to enter joy. So I've got a question. How to do it? How to enter the state of joy? Um. For this purpose, I recommend that you should remove all distracting factors and remember the state or situation, any state or situation, when you experienced a certain emotion. It may be light, when you experienced it just a little bit. In this case, in order to improve your experience level, you should boost that state by determining, for example, joy inside of you is some motion. Make this motion more intensively to boost that state. Okay. It may be, for example, some memories of yours about that state. And when you start describing what you were seeing at that moment, what you were hearing at that moment, that state will gradually concentrate and you will begin to experience this joyfulness at a higher level and you can anchor it at that moment. Okay, so in order to enter the state of joy, you should take it from your memories, right? You should take it from your memories, what you felt, what you heard, and and all the others. And this will be the way to, to enter joy. And then after, we should put simultaneously two anchors on both. Okay. What if we fail? What if we can't make this technique anchor collapsing from the first time? Is it possible not to be able to do it from the first time? How many times should we repeat to succeed? By my reckoning, the key thing in this situation is understanding of how this technique works. When you have this understanding, you will be able to use this technique pretty easily. Sometimes we do collapsing anchors ourselves, without knowing about it. For example, in some situation when a joyful melody begins to sound and we see an unpleasant person, we become completely at a loss at this moment. It is actually this technique. Or, for example, when we hear some speech paradoxes, because it is also some sort of paradoxical thinking when we hear someone saying, hurry up slowly, or the proverb, Slow and steady wins the race. If you try to comprehend it using logic, you will fall into a collapse-like state, a paradoxical state, as you cannot move slowly and arrive rapidly. So while a person is in that confusion, lost state, collapse, which raises both polarities, occurs. Mm -hmm. A person finds himself or herself being amid of nowhere. A Translate state. Right. Okay, so now hearing to what Alexander says, I more and more understand that reading NLP books, uh, listening to our NLP podcasts is nothing until you experience it. All those techniques, all those tools, they only get alive when you start experiencing them, living them through. 
So thank you, Alexander, very much for this podcast. It was, again, a lot of causing to think. Uh, thank you a lot, uh, dear listeners. If you like that information, if it uh, came up helpful for you, appeared helpful, you're very welcome with your likes and reposts. And we hear each other in a week next time. Yes, I'd like to thank all listeners of this podcast. Please leave a command and describe anchors that you have found on yourself in commands. Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory and gestatory. It can be a brand logo or a song, it can be a fragrance or some of the very taste in your memories. Describe anchors that you have found on yourself after listening to this podcast. Yeah, please write in English. We may discuss it in commentaries. Bye. Bye.